Part two, chapter six of Bonaventure, a prose pastoral of Acadian Louisiana. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bonaventure, a prose pastoral of Acadian Louisiana by George W. Cable. Part two, chapter six. War of Darkness and Light. Catu, it seems, had gone one day to College Point with a pair of wild ducks that he had shot, first of the season, and offered them to the priest who preached for Grand Point once a quarter. Catu, said the recipient, in good French, but with a cruel hardness of tone, why does that man out there teach his school in English? The questioner's intentions were not unkind. He felt a protector's care for his Acadian sheep, whose wants he fancied he, if not he only, understood. He believed a sudden overdose of enlightenment would be to them a real disaster, and he proposed to save them from it by the kind of management they had been accustomed to, they and their fathers, for a thousand years. Catu answered the question only by a timid smile and shrug. The questioner spoke again. Why do you Grand Point folk allow it? Do you want your children stuffed full of American ideas? What is in those books they are studying? You don't know? Neither do I. I would not look into one of them. But you ought to know that to learn English is to learn free thinking. Do you know who print those books that your children are rubbing their noses in? Yankees! Oh, I doubt not they've been sharp enough to sprinkle a little of the stuff they call religion here and there in them. Tis but the bait on the hook. But you silly Cadians think your children are getting education, and that makes up for everything else. Do you know what comes of it? Discontent, vanity, contempt of honest labor. Your children are going to be discontented with their lot. It will soon be good-bye to sunbonnets, good-bye to homespun, good-bye to Grand Point. Yes, and good-bye to the faith of your fathers. Catu, what do you know about that man, anyhow? You ask him no questions, you Cadians, and he— Oh, he is too modest to tell you who or what he is. Who pays him? He say pay is way behind. He say he don't get nothin' since he come yonder, said Catu, the distress that had gathered on his face disappearing for a moment. The questioner laughed contemptuously. Do you suppose he works that way for nothing? How do you know at all that his real errand is to teach school? A letter from Mr. Wallace, who simply told your simple-minded brother what the fellow told him. See here, Catu, you owe a tax as a raiser of tobacco, eh? And besides that, hasn't every one of you an absurd little sign stuck up on the side of his house, as required by the government, to show that you owe another tax as a tobacco manufacturer? But still you have a little arrangement to neutralize that, eh? How do you know this man is not among you to look into that? Do you know that he can teach? No wonder he prefers to teach in English. I had a conversation with him the other day. I want no more. He preferred to talk to me in English. That is the good manners he is teaching. Light-headed, hero-worshipping, free-thinker that he is. Catu was sore dismayed. He had never heard of hero-worship or free-thinking before, but did not doubt their atrocity. It had never occurred to him that a man with a few spelling-books and elementary readers could be so dangerous to society. "'I wish he'd clear out from yonder,' said Catu. 
He really made his short responses in French, but in a French best indicated in bad English. "'Not for my sake,' replied the priest, coldly smiling. "'I shall just preach somewhere else on the thirteenth Sunday of each quarter "'and let Grand Point go to the devil, "'for there is where your new friend is sure to land you. "'Good day. I am very busy this morning.' "'These harsh words, harsh barking of the shepherd-dog, "'spread an unseen consternation in Grand Point. "'Maximian was not greatly concerned.' when he heard of the threat to cut off the spiritual table-crumbs with which the villagers had so scantily been fed he only responded that in his opinion the domini was no such a fool as that but others could not so easily dismiss their fears they began to say privately leaning on fences and lingering at stiles that they had felt from the very day of that first mad bell-ringing that the whole movement was too headlong that this opening the sluices of English education would make trouble. Children shouldn't be taught what their parents do not understand. Not that there was special harm in a little spelling, adding, or subtracting, but the notions they and the teacher produced. Here was the school's influence going through all the place like the waters of a rising tide. All Grand Point was lifting from the sands, and in danger of getting afloat and drifting toward the current of the great world's life. Personally, too, the schoolmaster seemed harmless enough. From the children and he loving each other, the hearts of the seniors had become entangled. The children had come home from the atmosphere of that old tobacco shed and persuaded the very grandmothers to understand vaguely, very vaguely and dimly, that the day of liberty which had come to the world at large a hundred years before had come at last to them, that in France their race had been peasants, in Acadia forsaken colonists, in Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Virginia, exiles alien to the land, the language, and the times, in San Domingo penniless, sick, unwelcome refugees, and for just one century in Louisiana, the jest of the proud Creole, held down by the triple fetter of illiteracy, poverty, and the competition of unpaid, half-clad, swarming slaves. But that now the slave was free, the school was free, and a new, wide, golden future waited only on their education in the greatest language of the world. All this was pleasant enough to accept, even in a dim way, though too good to be more than remotely grasped. But just when, as music in a sleeper's ear, it is taking hold of their impulses somewhat, comes the word of their hereditary dictator that this man is among them only for their destruction. What could they reply? They were a people around whom the entire world's thought had swirled and tumbled for four hundred years without once touching them. Their ancestors had left France before Descartes or Newton had begun to teach the modern world to think. They knew no method of reasoning save by precedent, and had never caught the faintest reflection from the mind of that great sweet thinker who said, A stubborn retention of customs is a turbulent thing, no less than the introduction of new. 
To such strangers in the world of to-day now come the contemptuous challenge of authority, defying them to prove that one who proposed to launch them forth upon a sea of changes, out of sight of all precedent and tradition, was not the hireling of some enemy's gold secretly paid to sap the foundations of all their spiritual and temporal interests and plunge them into chaos. They blamed Bonaventure. He had got himself hated and them rebuked. It was enough. They said little to each other and nothing to him, but they felt the sleepy sense of injury we all know so well against one who was disturbing their slumber and some began to suspect and distrust him, others to think hard of him for being suspected and distrusted. Yet all this reached not his ears, and the first betrayal of it was from the lips of Chatoué, when, in his cups, he unexpectedly invited the schoolmaster to leave Grand Point. After that, even the unconscious schoolmaster could feel the faint chill of estrangement, but he laid it not to his work, but to his personal unloveliness, and said to Mian he did not doubt if he were more engaging, there would not be so many maidens kept at the wheel and loom in the priceless hours of school, or so many strapping youths sent all unlettered to the sugar-kettles of the coast plantations, what time Monsieur Wallis begin to grind. "'Tain't dat," said Mian. He had intended to tell the true reason, but his heart failed him, and when Bonaventure asked what then it was, he replied, "'Ah, oh, they don't got no time. Time runs so fast, run like a scared dog. I don't know for what they make that time run so fast that way.' "'Oh, my friend,' cried the young schoolmaster, leaping from his chair, "'say not that. If God did not make time to proceed with rapidness, who would ever do his best?' It was such lessons as this that made the children, Crebiche among them, still gather round the humble master and love to grasp his hand. End of Part 2 Chapter 6